1: The third angel's message of Revelation 14, 9 through 12, is a very clear warning that's built off of language like this. It says, Whoever worships the beast in its image will be tormented with holy fire in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels, literally by the appearance of the Lamb and the holy angels, Revelation 14. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, Revelation 14, because they have no rest day or night, those worshipers of the beast in its image. That's what the Bible says.
0: That's Pastor Michael Tenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's broadcast with Pastor Michael Tenko is entitled The Song of Moses and the lamb. That's the song of Moses and the lamb. We will bring you the first portion of this broadcast right now, but if you'd like to listen to the entire message without interruption, you can go to reachingyourheart.com at any time and you'll find it there under the current broadcasts. Let's get underway with Pastor Michael Oxentenko, our pastor, teacher and today's reaching your heart.
1: Let's pray. Lord God, we're very grateful today that we stand In a holy place at the end of time, we stand on holy ground and we stand with Jesus. What an honor. Help us, Father, to value our Bible, to not have a shallow or superficial walk with you, but to know the word of God, to live it, to be found righteous in our generation. I pray that for myself and for your people here today. And for our families, in Jesus' name, amen. General Douglas MacArthur once described the purpose of a soldier in a most unusual way. He said, The soldier above all others prays for peace, for it is the soldier who must suffer and bear the deepest wounds and scars of war. I never really appreciated this kind of thing till I had my son become a soldier. As a military family, I've come to realize that when a conflict occurs in the world, we somehow are actively engaged mentally and emotionally with that conflict. Every soldier who is worth his salt wants war to end. The final conflict of the mark of the beast, friend, will bring the whole world to war. I mean, if you think the world will end in a peaceful outcome, initially you're wrong. The Bible says the dragon went off to make war on the remnant. We are headed toward a war in the mark of the beast issue that is certain as the air that you are breathing. And the coming of Christ, the fact that he is coming, will bring the anger of the enemy, and thus war will be fomented. And when the conflict is over on the last day, and it will be over, there will be peace, and the nations will lay down their swords for good. When Jesus was asleep in the boat on the Sea of Galilee, you remember the sea blew hard, the waves began to roar, and he suddenly was awakened. And as he stood up in the boat, he commanded, he faced the wind, and he rebuked it as if there was a demon behind the wind, because there was. And what did Jesus do? What did he say? He stood up. And with authority, it's found in Mark 4.39, He awoke and He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. I can tell you right now there are times in our life when a storm hits us and we didn't plan on it and we need the same kind of authority to face that storm in our life that Jesus did here when it hit the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Just a couple of days ago, my son noticed that $6 had disappeared from his bank account mysteriously. He called the bank, and as he called the bank, they, he put a hold on his account. For some reason, the bank did not effectively put that hold on his account, and the net result was that his entire savings— his entire checking account disappeared in 24 hours because someone electronically had reached in to his private accounts and taken everything he had, thousands of dollars. He called me up. We talked. We prayed. I said, son, what matters in this world is peace. Money can come. Money can go. We're going to leave it to God to see if they'll ensure we will take care of this problem. But what matters is family, not what you have in your pocketbook. He says, you're right, Dad. Isn't it neat that God gives us stuff like that to remind us of this fact? That you can't base your future on what you have in your pocket. Now, I've found whenever I preach a topic that's related to the Mark of the Beast issue, in some way, something like that happens. In fact, the very first time I preached on the Mark of the Beast, my dog dug up the plants in our living room and scattered it all over our white carpet in our house just before my first Mark of the Beast sermon. And I noticed the Mark of the Beast was all over the house. This kind of thing happens again and again and again when you're trying to share the Word of God. Why? Because this topic that affects our personal peace with God at the time of the end, this topic is in and of itself vital and the devil does crazy things to bring it about. Now in the book of Daniel in chapter 7, Evil beasts that represent world kingdoms at war with each other arise from the sea as the four great winds blow upon the sea. Wind and sea in the book of Daniel, evil empires appear. The four great world empires of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome come from the waves of an angry sea. And so that is the context of world history. In Revelation 13, 1, the antichrist beast power, that is the world kingdom system that gets resurrected in the mark of the beast issue, it arises from the sea in the book of Revelation. In Luke 21, in Jesus' temple discourse, which matches the Olivet discourse of Matthew 24, which is about eschatology and end-time events, just before he died, Jesus warned his disciples that the wind will be blowing upon a sea of nations at the time of the end. And we must beware that because the winds of war will be ripe at the time of the end. Luke twenty-one twenty-five, Jesus said, And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, in perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. I mean, Christ was very clear. If you think it's going to be smooth sailing at the time of the end, you're wrong. We're headed toward a time in which the nations will be at war again. There will be a stormy world context at the time of the end, and the only thing that will fix it is the coming of Jesus Christ. Daniel prophesied in Daniel nine twenty-seven that desolations are decreed until the end. In Revelation 14, 6-12, God sends three deliberate messages to this world at the time of the end. It is not an option for Christians to understand these messages. God intends by their clarion, clear tone to awaken the Christian church and the inhabitants of the earth to the fact that Jesus is coming again. And we are to understand these messages, we are to live by them, we are to hang on to them because they will prepare us and a people for the coming of the Lord. The three angels' messages of Revelation 14 are a comprehensive call for the inhabitants of the earth to come to Jesus Christ. And so we must listen to what that call is and understand it clearly. And when the mark of the beast ends, and that it will, the call is finally given. Jesus Christ himself will appear on the clouds of glory. He will be coming for us and our families. And we will transition from mortality to immortality. And the old age of darkness will end. And Christ will bring an end to war because his coming will bring peace. Revelation 14, verse 4, Then I looked, and lo, a white cloud... And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Jesus is the cloud rider. He's coming at the end of the age, after the three angels' messages, to bring us into glory and to God. When Rome defeated the kingdom of Egypt at the Battle of Actium in B.C. 31, great military victory, one of the greatest of all time, that victory over Egypt ushered in the famous Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And that peace lasted for centuries. Now, scholars, historians, philosophers, the average person has been trying to understand why was it so effective? Why did the Roman peace last so long? And it was discovered the only reason the Roman peace lasted so long was because Rome decisively defeated its enemies. So there were no more enemies left to attack the empire. Friend, when Jesus comes back, Revelation 14 says the blood will flow as high as a horse's bridle. A global bloodshed will occur. This world will be engaged in a final conflict that will bring the end of the world as we know it. And when it's over, there's going to be peace because Jesus Christ is going to defeat the beast, its image, the false prophet. He's going to decisively defeat every single enemy that is arrayed against the church and the cause of God. And there will be no more enemies to afflict us forever. There will be peace. Now, the Roman peace came to an end. The only reason it did is because the forces of evil again came against the Roman Empire from abroad. But as long as their enemies were defeated, there was peace. Friend, Jesus Christ defeats our enemies in life. He finds a way to find that foe that is there to take you out, and he deals with it so you can be saved. When Christ comes at the end of the age, you know how he's going to defeat his enemies? He's coming in the glory of his Father with fire, and the presence of God will destroy evil. Turn to Isaiah 66, verse 15. Isaiah says, for behold, the Lord will come in, how does the text read in your Bible? Will come how? In fire. And his chariots like the storm wind. We could put that into modern language. You know, his spaceships. Spaceships like storm wind, to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. Now, the Bible is very clear. The wrath of God is not vindictive. The wrath of God in the Bible doesn't come because God is insecure. The wrath of God in the Bible is this passionate love for life that is translated into a zeal to destroy that evil which would take life. And so we must always understand that. Now, verse 16. For by fire will the Lord execute judgment and by his sword upon all flesh... And those slain by the Lord shall be many. This is the second coming of Christ that we're looking at in the book of Isaiah. The third angel's message of Revelation 14, 9 through 12, is a very clear warning that's built off of language like this. It says, Whoever worships the beast in its image will be tormented with holy fire in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels. Literally, by the appearance of the Lamb and the holy angels in Revelation 14. And then it goes on to say in verse 11, Revelation 14, because they have no rest day or night, those worshipers of the beast and its image. That's what the Bible says. Friend, when you look at the evidence in the Bible, the third angel's message, Isaiah 66, Jesus Christ is coming with fire. Now, how many of you would like to live in the fire? Raise your hand. I want to live in the fire like Daniel's three friends went into the fiery furnace with God there. I want to be able to live in the fire. We're going to have to be able to live in the fire to get from here to glory. The Bible is so clear that His coming is not a secret rapture. It is glory, loud, full of fire, and every eye will see Him when He comes. And it will be a fearful day for those out of synchronization with who He is. Revelation 1-7. Behold, He is coming with the clouds. And what does the text say? What does it say? Every eye will what? There goes a secret rapture. It's not possible. The Bible says every single eye will see him. It's amazing how a theory of eschatology can come into the Christian church that is against something as clear as Revelation 1 verse 7. Every eye will see him, everyone who pierced him. And notice how many see him. All the tribes of the earth, it says, will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. The whole world is going to see Jesus return. The three angels' messages of Revelation 14 that end in the personal appearing of Christ and the clouds of heaven in fire provide the direct context for the peaceful scene of the sea of glass in Revelation 15. Antonio Brown once said, blue is the color of peace. Water is blue. I like the color of blue because it just puts me at peace. Now, in our sanctuary, we have blue dominating, don't we? What's the color of our ceiling? Blue, our chairs. What's the highlight in the carpet? Blue. You know, blue is the color of God's throne, of His law. Blue is also one of the colors for Jesus, who is the living law. Blue means peace. The sea of glass at the time of the end is a sea of peace. We go through the war so we can be at peace. The final conflict will give way to a calm day. Revelation 15, 1-2, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and wonderful, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is ended. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing in the revised version here beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. In Revelation 14.11, the language of the third angel's message clearly proclaims that the worshipers of the beast and its image have no rest day or night. It just says it in Revelation 14.11. Now, the Greek word for rest is the Greek word anapausis. Two words combined to make this word. Anna means again. Pausis means to pause or to rest. It means to rest again and again and again. It's cyclical rest. In fact, it's the Greek word in the Septuagint of the Old Testament translation that describes consistently Sabbath rest. I mean, so a very special Greek word is used here in Revelation 14 to describe the rest that the worshipers of the beast do not have. They have somehow rejected Sabbath rest.
0: Pastor Michael Oxentenka will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is eight 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 two four four hope That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael
1: Tenko. If you follow the beast power, friend, at the end, and if you give in to the world that it represents, you will not have Sabbath rest day or night in your life at the time of the end. In Ephesians 6.15, Paul describes the gospel as the gospel of peace because peace brings rest into our lives. We are not at war with God because of the gospel. Matthew 11.28, I love this verse. In fact, this is one of the best passages in all the Bible to me. The great invitation, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Now that includes the preacher. Come to me, all you who are like that, and I will give you rest. Rest is not the day. Rest is Jesus. But somehow the day is connected to it. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Augustine of Hippo once wrote this. Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless unless it finds its rest in Thee. Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. In Hebrews 4, the Sabbath rest signified by the seventh day is the sign of God's gospel rest for his people. There are preachers today who say, well, you know, the Sabbath is this relic of Jewish legalism. We don't need the Sabbath as Christians because we're in the new covenant and we're free. So we don't keep the Sabbath. You know, that makes sense maybe on the surface. But when you dig into the New Testament, it makes zero sense because it absolutely defies the logic and the system of the New Testament. Turn to Hebrews 4. Let's look at verse 4, going down to verse 9. In fact, right here in the heart of the book of Hebrews, the book that is dedicated to the New Covenant, the Bible is abundantly clear that the seventh-day Sabbath is itself a sign of the gospel of rest that we must have continually as Christians. Look at verse 4. For he, speaking of God, has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on what day? What does it say? On the seventh day from how many of his works? From all his works. You see, that's the problem with legalism. We want to work our way into favor with God. We want to be perfect enough to be accepted by God. We want to do something that makes us look religious enough that somehow we'll convince the world that we can win the great controversy for God and all that silly talk. And the fact is... It says, God rested on the seventh day from all His works. The kind of work that matters in your life is a finished work that God brings into your life. Now, verse 5, and again in this place, He said, they shall never enter my rest. He's speaking about a generation of disobedience. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the gospel, the good news, failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, He sets a certain day. Now, what does it say in your Bible? Today, right? That's today. Saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verses 8 9. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not speak later of another day. Now look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now he's not saying there's a new rest that God has instituted. He's saying there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. What God intended on the seventh day in the truth of God's power and love, that rest remains. The Greek word here in verse 9 is sabbatismos. Now, if another day has taken the place of the seventh day in Hebrews 4, why would he use the seventh day of the fourth commandment as the argument for the abiding rest of God? It would be bad logic. It would be dishonest. It would not make any sense. And yet that is exactly the logic that is used by many a preacher across the land who manipulates this verse so it breaks the law of God. Friends, the Sabbath is a sign of the rest we have in the gospel. That is the argument of the book of Hebrews So in the book of Hebrews, the Sabbath stands as somehow a picture of the rest that we have in Jesus. The Sabbath, by its very nature, points to the completed work of Jesus Christ as the creator, the sustainer, and the savior of the human race. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world in six dramatic days as he unleashed his holy power and purpose to create the planet and bring human beings into existence. Man was made on what day? You know the story. One through seven. What day? The sixth day. And as Adam was created on the sixth day, the seventh day was coming. So the first full day of life for Adam and Eve, was it the sixth day or the seventh day? It was the seventh day. And it was a meaningful day because on that day, God had finished his work. Adam and Eve started their life with God in an incomplete day. But the first full day of life was a finished day of rest and fellowship. They were finished by faith on the seventh day before the first day ever came along. On the first day, they went out to work. That's Sunday. On the seventh day, which is Saturday, they entered into God's rest. That's the holy day of creation. And that's what we have to do as Christians because we believe in the gospel. We don't believe we're saved by works. We've got to start with rest before we go out to work. And so Sunday comes a day too late to tell us anything about the gospel. Sunday tells us what we should do. It's a day of activity, but it's not the day that says God rested. He finished his work. When Christ died on the cross, he said, it is finished because a finished work was accomplished on Calvary's cross. And as the sun was setting on Good Friday, the Sabbath confirmed what Jesus had said. We can manufacture rest in our lives by choosing a day of our own. But we have to come to God on God's terms and not ours if we're true to the Bible and the new covenant. And that's why the seventh day points to a gospel rest that belongs to God that is in Jesus Christ. Let's look at Revelation 15, to 2 again with this truth in mind. The Bible says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and wonderful, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last, for with them the wrath of God is ended. You know, I always get a little nervous when I hear that topic, the wrath of God. You know what I mean? How many of you feel comfortable about a sermon on the wrath of God? Well, this is a sermon on the wrath of God, so I'm making you nervous today. It helps sometimes to understand what the word means. When the war ends, here it is clearly taught it will be a wonderful beginning because a peace, a sea of glass will be seen. There will come a time when the term seven, seven, seven brings the end. Seven plagues, seven angels calls to mind the seventh day when God rested from all his work in creation. In Genesis 2-2, God ended his work on what day? The sixth day or seventh day? Seventh day. And he rested on the seventh day. Here in Revelation 15.1, the wrath of God has ended with the seven plagues, and thus the wrath of God is ended like the Sabbath ends. The word for wrath here in the Greek is thumos. Why don't you say it with me? Thumos. Thumos. And it's a word that describes the passionate groaning of God. It's not like an outburst kind of wrath. It's like a groaning, passionate inner sigh of anger or pain or both because of circumstances. The grief and agony of God somehow come together. You know, before the flood, it didn't say God was fed up with the human race. It says it grieved God that he had made him. And this word brings to mind this idea of anger, grief. It's like creation all over again with a goal. And God is grieving with an anger against evil, but a love for people. And that groan is what has brought Jesus to the earth. His intervention in time is because of his wrath. his thumos. But there'll come a day when his sighings for everything will come to an end because the will of God will be accomplished. It'll be finished. And so it's like creation all over again with a goal and a purpose to end the war. The seventh plague brings rest and peace just like the seventh day did at the very beginning. Revelation 15, verse 2, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands.
0: Well, unfortunately, we are out of time for the first portion of the Song of Moses and the Lamb. But not to worry, if you'd like to go to reachingyourheart.com right now, you can listen to the entire message without interruption or just join us the next time we get together and we'll conclude the broadcast then. Thank you so much for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support. 888-244-HOPE That's 888-244-4673 Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oksentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.